0: Bibles turn to John chapter 16. We're gonna be finishing out this chapter today. We're gonna to be looking at several verses, starting in verse 4, going all the way through the end of the chapter. While you're turning, let me talk about some, some things. Firstly, if you don't have a Bible, down in the middle column of seats are a couple of Bibles stacked on top of each other. You're welcome to, to grab that and use it as we're worshiping today. Um, the Gospel of John and the chapter that we're on will be around 580, 87, 88 or so, so go ahead and grab that. Um, I was at a funeral this week, a funeral for Valerie Cantanzaro and uh, Anthony and I went down together and it was a great service. It was good to see Basil. Uh, their family were members of our congregation for the year that they were here for the World College and it was good to see them. The kids are doing okay. Really it was a, a celebration of her life and you know when you go to events like that, it, you can't help but be nostalgic and uh I'm reminded of just events like that, but also just peering into my own life that um, that that the world that we live in. I mean, we're not strangers to sorrow and anxiety and stress and even despair. You know, I think and and especially the loss of a person that, you know, and that you are close to kind of brings that on. Um, you, you, You just have to turn on the news. I mean, if you turn on the news, I mean, just look in your own family. Um, none of us are protected from the calamities of life. I mean, it's hard to escape that kinds of stuff. And so today, as we're looking at John chapter 16, what I want to incline our minds to, to, uh, to this idea is, what does the Bible say about, about trouble, about the difficulty of life? When, when life gets tough and, and tribulation and trial comes, what does the Bible say about that? Does God even care? Is his word to us? suck it up and drive on, uh, or or does God give us something else that we can grab hold to? If you're with us for the first time, we're in the gospel of John. We've been um, sluggoing it through this gospel for most of this year, starting in February, and we happen upon chapter 16 today. Um, In chapters 13 through 16, uh, this is called Jesus' farewell discourse. He is basically, he's teaching, that's what discourse means, but he's giving his his last words before he'll he'll be arrested, tried, tortured, put on the cross and and ultimately die for the sins of the world. And the essence of of what Jesus is saying as he says farewell or goodbye to his disciples is found in uh, really a, a couple chapters ago. Chapter 14, verse one, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believed in God. Believe also In me and at the end of all this teaching uh, we'll see it here in a couple seconds is uh, chapter 16 verse 33 he says these words he says I've I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you have tribulation but take heart I've overcome the world I love that the Bible doesn't just like gloss over the difficulty difficulties of life uh, it doesn't say that you're uh, Jesus particularly doesn't say that you're not going to have trouble. He says, you're. I mean, tribulation is going to come. You're going to experience it. It's going to flood your life, perhaps. But in the midst of that, Jesus gives us a word. And the word is he says that we can have peace. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Those of you that read the Bible a lot, you'll notice that over 300 times the Bible uh, in the Bible. God calls us to to not be afraid, to not worry Uh, that through our trouble, don't concentrate on the trouble, press, press through it. And in this command, he always couples it with with a why, you know, why why should I not be troubled? And oftentimes he says, very simply, I'm with you. Uh, You're not going through this alone. I'm with you. And so as Jesus says farewell to the disciples in this particular chapter here today, um, he's leaving the disciples with a why, and he's actually going to give them a gift It's the gift of the helper, he calls it, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that'll be our direction today. We're gonna read uh, together, uh, starting in verse four, the second half of verse four, through verse 15, although we will work through uh, the the remainder of the passage. Read with me, starting in verse four. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pause to say thank you for a new day. Thank you for new mercy, for grace. Thank you that you meet us right where we are. And Lord, we come in from different walks of life and with all different kinds of things going on. Some of us come in with a smile in our face, but pain in our heart. Some of us, some of us have come in with, with worry and and fear and confusion from things going on in our own families or perhaps we're carrying the burdens of our extended family. Some of us are doing okay, but we still have questions about the future and and Lord, only you by your holy spirit can come and and meet us all where we are. And so we've sung songs to you, we've acknowledged your presence. Would you be here as we attend to your word. Lord, would you say things to us that we individually need to hear? Would you address us corporately? More importantly, Lord, would you enlighten us to your Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, and, uh, and, and how he can help us along, how he comes to help. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So throughout John, uh, these this final discourse, chapters 13 through 16, Jesus has been telling the disciples that he was um, what's going to happen to him, that he's going to die for the sins of the world, that he's going to leave the earth and go back to the father. And the truth is, he's been telling them all this, but he hasn't given a lot of detail. Finally, as he concludes his teaching with them, really, as he's about to conclude his life on the earth. He's going to give him a little bit of detail. And we find that as we back up in, in, in verses one through four, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. And so here's, here's a detail and it's not good news. He's like, um, so uh, I don't know. I I can't tell you this other than just to tell you, um, because I don't want you to fall away. He says life is going to get hard. I'm about to go. And I've said a lot to you, but life is going to get hard. In fact, people are going to kick you out of the very synagogue that you deserve to be in because you're a Jew. But more than that, in future days, all of you, all all of you will be killed. He says, life is going to get hard. These people will think they're doing a service to God by taking you out as they're going to take me out. And they're going to hate you and they're going to be thinking that they're doing a good thing uh, in service to God. But really, they don't really know God, because if they knew God, they wouldn't do the very things that they're going to do. And in light of all that will happen, Jesus is basically saying, "I, I need to give you a gift I'm going to talk to you about what I'm going to give you so that although life will be hard it won't you'll be able to you, you'll be able to endure it's the gift of the Holy Spirit now the backdrop to to what Jesus is, is about to say is it's Thursday we don't know what what time frame it is on Thursday but Thursday is important because Friday is coming and in Jesus life this is about 33 AD Um. On Friday, probably shortly after midnight or maybe very early on Friday morning, uh, after he prays in in John chapter 17, as he uh, shows us, he gets arrested. He goes through several trials. He's tortured. He's pinned to a cross with nails in his body. And he eventually dies on that cross, his blood being spilt for for our sin. And so Jesus is telling them all these things in a little bit of detail now because he wants them to be prepared. Uh, so in uh, in verse four, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And so the disciples are Uh, it it makes sense. They're they're feeling sorrow. They understand Jesus is getting ready to leave the world. They understand that he's saying, I'm going to die. They don't understand how exactly that's going to come about. But they know because they've been with Jesus for a little bit, this is not going to be a good thing. And Jesus makes the point in verse verse five. He says, I'm going away. You got a little bit of sorrow in your heart, but you're not asking me the right things. You, You should be asking me, um, what's the bigger picture? All you're doing right now is concentrating on your grief and the pain that, you're, that you know you're going to suffer because I've sort of alluded to that. But there's a bigger picture here in regards to me and my life and my death and what will happen with you in the coming days. And here's the bigger picture for seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, hey, I, I'm leaving, but I'm, I'm sending a gift. He's not going to come right away, but you'll know it when you get it because you're not going to your lives will be different. Um, I kind of I kind of side with the disciples here and perhaps you do, too, because it's hard to to fathom if if you knowing how close they were with Jesus and how intimately they walked with him for three whole years. I mean, can you imagine losing a friend that's that close that, you know, I mean, you know, there's something special about this Jesus. And they had come to the um, to the, the knowledge, the recollection that this guy really is the Messiah. He's the one that's that's been talked about in the Old Testament. He's finally here amongst us. And they had no idea. They, they didn't think their Messiah was going to die. Definitely not die on a cross. He hadn't done all those things that he was supposed to do. Come and relieve them of their fears and and conquer the Romans and restore the nation of Israel to all that it was supposed to be. We, we think like this. My, my life is hard enough. It's, it's difficult enough with all the things I got on my plate. Can, can I just like. It would be so much easier if I could just be in Jesus' presence, if I could hear his teaching, if I could be up close and personal with, with my Savior, with my Messiah. That's how the disciples think. And I think we think the same thing, same thing, too. If you're given the option of having the Holy Spirit or having some gift that you don't not quite sure what it is and having Jesus, most of, the, most of us would say, well, I, I can read about Jesus in the Bible. I, I'll take Jesus. Give me him. But here, here's what Jesus is saying. If, if I don't go away, I can't give you something better. So, so Jesus is saying, I, I am God. I, I, I understand what you, you know to be what you know about me to be true. But he's saying, I'm going to go away and give you something that's actually better than me being here in the flesh. And, and here's the, the, the telltale of Of the fact that Jesus going away and him sending something better is was actually true we only have to look at the disciples before the Holy Spirit came and after the Holy Spirit came in in these pages in John John is painting a picture of these disciples I mean they are confused they're suspicious of everything going on around them they lack courage they're they're riddled with fear Fast forward to Acts chapter two, the, uh, the the Pentecost event. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and they are all of a sudden emboldened and given courage that they didn't have before. Peter goes and preaches the best sermon that's ever been preached in the world. These disciples, who right at this moment are hunkered up, hunkered down. Which one is it, up or down? They're hunkered. I mean, they're like hiding, right? They don't. They know that Jesus. The the authorities are on the lookout for Jesus and they don't want to get caught. They don't want him to get caught because they don't know what will happen in the future. If if they are caught, they become confident, um, fearless, courageous world changers. People that actually change the world. Now, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit here in, in verse seven. God himself, not just walking amongst them, being around them, but the presence of God himself, the third person of the Trinity, indwelling believers, being inside of them. And so Jesus sets before these disciples here, but but also us by extension, um, the power to live the Christian life so that we so that we don't escape the troubles of this life because we can't. Trouble will follow you wherever you are. But our troubles don't render us helpless and hopeless. When God, the Holy Spirit, comes and and God gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit, he gives us not just, he doesn't give us a force, he doesn't give us an operation of God, he gives us himself. The Holy Spirit is God himself coming to dwell in us. So really, uh, the the way that I see this text, and we're going to go through it really quickly because I'm going to spend a little bit of time applying it for us today, um, is What does the Holy Spirit do? That's what John is. That's what Jesus is articulating. And John is capturing in these words. And I'm going to give you four things, four things that the Holy Spirit does. The first thing is the Holy Spirit convicts the world. Verse eight. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We're gonna finish reading this passage in a second. I'm gonna to stop to make a, a point here. There's a lot, there's a lot written on, on these few verses, verses eight through eleven that we're gonna look at. And there's a lot of confusion as to what Jesus actually means. What does it mean that he's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? And uh, because this is an overloaded verse and an overloaded passage, I'm going to try and simplify it as best as I can. I think what he's saying is the Holy Spirit shows us what's wrong, what's right and, and who wins. What's wrong with the world, what's right and who wins the great contest between good and evil. And the Holy Spirit is the one that illumines that for us. And so what's wrong with the world? Verse nine. The Holy Spirit comes, and when he comes, he will con- uh, convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Everyone has this list of what's wrong with the world. Uh, if we took a poll of just us sitting here in this room, some of us would say um, the politics of the world are wrong. or We have too much poverty or uh, the social issues of the world aren't being addressed. And if we would simply take, pay attention to those, the world would be a better place. Other Others of us would, would have a simpler perspective, we say, you know what, if you just take out organizations like Starbucks that are monopolizing our money and our coffee, then the world will be a better place. That, would, that was supposed to be a joke. It wasn't. I'm not against Starbucks. Actually, I like Starbucks. I like the red cups with the liquid goodness on the inside. Uh, Jesus is telling us that most of us don't get to the root of the problem. And he tells us the problem in this verse. The problem is the problem with the world is that we don't believe in Jesus. Look at that. What's wrong? The Holy Spirit convicts us concerning sin because they put put yourself right there. We don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in him. We dismiss Jesus and don't see him as essential or important. And the Holy Spirit shows us that we're wrong before God by rejecting Jesus. When you reject Jesus, you've rejected God. And the Holy Spirit points that out. The Holy Spirit tells us, he points out that Jesus is what matters most. And unfortunately, the church is the is the one organization that should get this right. But the church has added to the confusion. Because churches, you have liberal churches and conservative churches and every brand of church on uh, in the middle of that. And you have some churches that that they they take up issues. And one church has an anti-abortion issue. One church has a poverty issue. One church has a racist racism issue. One church has other social social media issues. And then, of course, there are churches that are very political. And here's the issue with that. Are, are, are all those things wrong? Should we be interested in those things? Absolutely. But those are all secondary issues. And so when a church takes up a secondary issue and makes it a primary issue, we confuse ourselves and we confuse everybody else. And so when we get this wrong, when we fail to believe in Jesus and when we get this wrong, we fail to believe in Jesus and what he comes to do. So the Holy Spirit uh, points out this thing. What's wrong with the world? We don't believe in Jesus. Secondly, the Holy Spirit points out uh, what's right about our world. Verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and he will see me no longer. Um just like most of us can point out, I mean, we got a list of things that we think are wrong with the world. Most of us can have a list of, of what we think are right about the, the environment that we live in, but more importantly, who's right. And what Jesus is saying here is at the center of anybody's list of, of what's right about our world, it should have Jesus on it. Jesus says in this verse, he says, I'm going to the Father. And when he's talking about that, he's basically saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to the cross. Uh, I'm going to be crucified for all the things that are wrong in our world. He says all this stuff is getting ready to happen. That will be detriment to my life and detriment to all those who believe in me. But here's the thing. I'm the one. I'm the only one that brings the very righteousness of God. I'm the one that brings right into the world. And I do that by dying on the cross for people who don't deserve it. Christians don't make themselves righteous. There's nothing that you can do that's good enough to merit God's favor. That's what the Bible says. There's no one good but God. Any right that's in you comes from your trusting in Jesus because he's altogether right. He's altogether good. We receive a righteousness that we don't have of ourselves. Romans 3 tells us. When we trust in Jesus, it's it's the great exchange. He takes our sin. He forgives us and he gives us his righteousness. So how are we how are we made right? Jesus dies on the cross. We trust in that and he gives us the righteousness that he wants us to have. We have no there's no other source of righteousness in our lives. You can't give enough money to charity. You can't be kind enough to anybody in your family and your neighbor you can't be good enough to get to to merit the the goodness God requires. He's a holy, righteous, uncompromising God. Any righteousness that we have have comes from Jesus. And the major sin of humanity is we try to make ourselves right. I mean, do any of y'all do any of y'all like me um, just get tired of making yourself right? Like I'm trying to make my money right and I'm trying to make my marriage right and I'm like beating my kids to try to make them. I'm not beating my kids. I'm just giving you all examples. Y'all calm down. I'm trying to make my kids right and I'm trying to make all the people around me. Right. And it's like burdening me down. And and here's the real paradox about Christianity. It's not about it's not about getting it right. It's about Jesus who got it right. That's what Christianity is about. And it takes us a long time to get that because we're just moral people. I was talking to, I think I was talking to Anthony. We talked a lot. We this is like a four-hour trip down and back. Um, it's just in us to try and be good, to do good and be good. And this, the Bible just paints it out. You, you can't do that. It's not in you. You're even on your best days, you're not good enough for God. And that sounds bad, but it's absolutely true. And so the, the real paradox of Christianity, it's not about you getting it right. It's about us recognizing that we're weak and and we're wrong. Like verse nine says, we're wrong. We don't we don't believe in Jesus. When we recognize that our greatest need is for Jesus, that's the point that you get it right. It takes the Holy Spirit to convince us of this reality. What's wrong? What's right? Who wins? Verse 11. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness. And verse 11 says he convicts the world concerning, um, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Uh, verse 11 shows that the reality that Jesus has, uh, has won, he's won a victory over uh, Satan, death, hell and the grave. When it says the ruler of this world, it's, it's obviously talking about Satan himself here. And what Jesus wants us to know is if if you're on the the side of the one who's right, you have nothing to fear, even if life is turbulent. And I mean, all hell is breaking loose in your life. You have nothing to fear in this life and definitely not in the life to come. I like what Paul says in Ephesians two, verses four and five. Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. Here's the simplicity of this verse. He's like, you're, you're a dead man walking. It's like that TV show Walking Dead that everybody in the whole country is watching. All them dead people is walking. You can't even kill them. But he he's said, you haven't really lived until I've made you alive. You don't have life until I've given it to you. And here's the thing. That comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the thing is the is the person that awakens you to the fact that uh, you're a part of what's wrong in the world because you haven't believed in Jesus. And then he quickens you. He regenerates you. The Holy Spirit makes you aware that uh, of your sin and of a God who's righteous and uh, the huge chasm that you aren't able to to, to get it across unless you get help. And he sends Jesus and Jesus comes as the first helper. And Jesus lives uh, an immaculately perfect life because you can't do it. And he dies on the cross and his blood is spilt because it takes blood to forgive you of your sin. And Jesus makes you right. And then when he makes you right, you cross over into the side that wins. And with Christ, you have gained victory over death. You eventually will gain victory over death, hell, Satan and the grave. The Holy Spirit makes this happen. Let me go on. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does, He convicts the world. Uh, he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and and judgment. Here's the second thing: the Holy Spirit instructs or grows the Christian. Um, the ministry, there's a ministry outside the church to draw us in, convict us, convict us of our sin cleanses us and makes us aware of Jesus and his, his perfect work on our behalf. But then the Holy Spirit has a ministry inside the church, really inside of you, to enlighten and empower you for mission. And that's what he says in this second part, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are To come Um, I'm sort of comical when I read the Bible I I love it how when Jesus like sort of subliminally tells us about the uh, the personality of the disciples and basically here he's saying you know these are some thick skull kind of dudes that I mean they're like us they get it but they don't quite get it and so they had been walking around with the truth but they really didn't understand what the truth was They sort of knew Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And he's saying, I got a lot that I want to tell you. You can't handle it. All right. So I'm going to just pause right here. I'm going to do the thing God has told me to do. I'm going to lay down my life and then I'm going to send you another helper. And because he's going to be in you, he's going to be able to tell you the things that I need you to tell you from the inside out. That's really what he's saying. Um." Here's the thing. There's a difference between knowing information and and knowing the the truth that God is trying to get in us at a at a deep level. I think in the same way. There's a there's a there's a truth between knowing that God loves all the people in the world and God actually loves you. I mean, he if you if you make it personal, God loves me. I, I mean, I have a difficulty with that sometimes. I have a difficulty with just receiving. The, the, the God of love. Here's what, here's what Paul says in, in Romans 5. Um, I'm going to back up because this is a beautiful passage and I want you to hear a little bit of it. Therefore, verse 1, for, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him who also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so Paul's saying, you know what? Life's going to come at you. It's going to come at you at a flood. It's going to like it's going to push you and press you. And and it's not going to always be pleasant, but God is going to gift you through the Holy Spirit some some pretty neat things in the midst of suffering. Uh, It's going to bring you character and hope, and it's a hope that doesn't disappoint. And and what he's encouraging us to do is make Christianity personal here. This is a hope that comes not just to the world at large, the world at general, but it comes personally to you. Christianity is a series of personal pronouns. Paul is saying not just a we or an us, but a you. God loves you. God loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus dwells within me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he does this, what does he do? He's instructing us. He's guiding us. He's guiding us in the truth of Jesus and his gospel. He grows us, speaking in the authority of a triune God who conforms us to his image. Verse 14. Doing some Bible drills. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said, to, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the chief work of the Holy Spirit is not to point to himself. It's as if uh, the Holy Spirit is behind my shoulder. He's leaning over me. He's, he's shining this spotlight, and the spotlight is on Jesus himself. And he's like, you see Jesus over there? He's like, keep your eyes on him. Focus on him. Um, go to him. For all your your cares, for all your needs. And Jesus is standing there with a spotlight on him, and he's got his arms open wide, ready to receive all of us with all the things that we carry, both good and bad. And Jesus can handle it. And I think we need that because we need this spotlight that the Holy Spirit shows on Jesus because sometimes our, our, our lenses, our glasses, for those of us that wear glasses, they get blurry. And we we like I mean, where, where Jesus, where are you? I can't see you. I can't hear you. And the Holy Spirit is constantly um, adjusting the spotlight so that we can f- figure out where Jesus is in the muck of our lives. Because our default mode is when we can't hear or see Jesus is we get busy. I know I do. I mean, I start working hard to get to 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 do those things that I think God is um, that I think God is calling me to pulling me to so that I just you know, merit the, the time to spend with Jesus. Let me work harder. And so Jesus is, is he's trying to give us a bigger picture that he's calling us to himself, that he's pointing us to the reality of what he's what's already taking place or what will take place in a, in a few hours that we are sons of the living God. He loves us because of what the Son will do. Thirdly, the Spirit encourage, uh, encourages us as Christians. The, the Spirit encourages us as Christians when life gets hard because it will get hard. Uh, and if any of you here haven't experienced just heart, the hardness of our life, just wait a few minutes and, and it's going to come. Now, this is the point where, I mean, the disciples are pretty, uh, they're distressed. They're discouraged. Um they know that something imminent is about to happen to Jesus. He's going to leave them and uh, and they just don't know how to handle this. And so verse 16 is an interesting verse. It's actually a paradox. A little while you'll see me. A little while you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while and you'll see me. And so Jesus has a, a you know, a conversation with the, the disciples. Uh, they're thinking, well, I mean, what in the world are you talking about? We we see you right now. What do you mean we won't see you, and then we're going to see you again? And so Jesus, um, knowing omnisciently what they're thinking and what they're saying out loud, he basically interrupts them and says, "All right, guys, this is what this is what it means." Uh, and then he unfolds that, unpacks that, in the verses that um, that come. Uh, I, I think there's a threefold meaning in what Jesus is saying in verse 16 that he unpacks in the in, in the the following text. We're not going to read all of it. Uh, Three meaning. He's given three meanings in regards to, uh, to him going away and then coming back so the disciples are, are, are experiencing him. And the first meaning is in a little while, they wouldn't see Jesus because of his crucifixion. He's going to go to the cross and he's going to die. And it would be an occasion where the disciples would i mean they would experience sorrow they they would weep and and they would have lament now think of it this way for three years they've known jesus as the center of their life more than that jesus has uh, um, there's no problem that they couldn't bring to jesus that he could not solve he's a miracle working person messiah in in the midst of them and later that evening just a, a, a short few hours after that he would be arrested And tried and tortured and um, made to look like he's a blasphemer and then eventually put on the cross. He'd be tormented on a cross that he would eventually die on. That's the first meaning. The second meaning, Jesus says, uh, you're going to see me again. Of course, this this refers to the resurrection, him resurrecting from the dead. Skip over to verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy, um, joy from you. And so the the Jesus compares the events of of his resurrection. I mean, his suffering and then his. Resurrection to a woman in the travail of, of labor. All right, half of us in the room hadn't, hadn't experienced that, and so it's actually not even right for me to even comment on it. But Jesus talked about it, he didn't have a baby, so I'm gonna talk about it. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing verse 20 is, is, the, is the key to this, this verse. He says, Your sorrow will be turned to joy. You know, and a lot of times, a lot of times definitely when a woman is giving birth, But in our lives, um, when we're going through a rough time, we just want the We just want the end like take this pain away from me. Just suck it out. Pull it out. Cut it out. Do whatever you got to do. I remember John Larissa was pregnant with Jonathan. These aren't good memories. Um, So so she went through. I don't know. It was a long amount of hours. We're at West Point and uh, West Point. You you couldn't do uh, an epidural. They didn't they didn't do that. They had a. Intrathecal anal—it's like some long medical word. In other words, it's just like numb to pain. It didn't take it away. So she went through 21 hours of labor, started pushing, and Jonathan's head was so big that his heart rate dropped. I'm sorry, Jonathan. It's true. So Jonathan was in duress, and then of course chaos conso- uh, ensued after that. And in between all the chaos, Larissa, she like pulled me, you know, close. I was like. Let's just promise we do not do this again. <laughs> He's like, get this dude out of me. Like, all right. So obviously we got two more kids. Here's the thing. Uh, y'all are crazy women. I y'all, y'all forget. Um, Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying that. It's not that God... Um, cuts the pain out or there's a drawer a drawer with happiness here and then you got the pain right here I'm going to take the pain drawer out and I'm going to get this happiness drawer and I'm going to stick it in that's not what he's saying. Verse 20 says I'm going to turn your sorrow into joy and that's important for us because here's the thing the resurrection does not do away with crucifixion. hear that? Jesus' resurrection did not do away. It didn't take away the crucifixion. In order for us to have redemption, Jesus had to go through the suffering of being crucified on a cross and his blood being spilled out on the floor that it might trickle into our lives and appease the wrath of God for our our sin. The resurrection doesn't do away with crucifixion. It turns the sorrow of the cross into our joy and our glory. Our our grief is transformed, just like the grief of a mom, not really grief, but just the pain of going through labor because the sorrow of the cross and the subsequent death pales in comparison to the everlasting joy of the salvation it provides. There's a third meaning here in this, this little text here, and it's that we will see Jesus not just after the resurrection, but we'll see him as he indwells us by the Holy Spirit. They got to see Jesus physically after the, after he resurrected for 40 some odd days as he taught them and interacted with them and taught them about the kingdom of God and what the scriptures said about him. We get to see the Holy Spirit as he lives life and helps us to to live it um, out, you know, out loud. Fourthly, the Christian, uh, the spirit helps the Christian pray. Verse 23. In that day, you'll ask nothing of the uh, nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he'll give it to you. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. When Jesus says in that day, he's talking about the day when the spirit would come and begin to minister among them. While Jesus was on the earth, the disciples were accustomed to taking their questions to him. I mean, he was right there with them. So anything they had a question about, anything they needed, wanted to know, they could ask him personally. And so Jesus is saying, I- I'm going to heaven. I'm going to send the spirit to assist you in your praying. Here's how Paul says it in, in Romans eight of what the spirit does for us. You guys got that Romans eight. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The the, the Spirit is not only in us, but he's, he's praying for us as he intercedes for us. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is Speaking to the father through the son by the spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. Later, he says in verse 26 and 27. um, I don't have to beg the father to answer your prayers because the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. He'll incline you to ask the right things. But more importantly, the father loves you as much as I do. The only reason why the father sent me is because he has the same unconditional uh, just willing, participatory, participatory love. I can never say that word. He has that same kind of love for you. And the Father, out of his love for you, is going to respond to your prayers because you have a piece of me inside of you. All right, so I begin this message talking about sorrow and the trials and tribulations that we can have in life. And I sort of want to make it practical, so I'm going to conclude just with a practical application. We're going to look at a few scripture verses. Um, what does it mean to live in light of this passage? This, this talking about the Holy Spirit working in our life. I mean, how how do we take what Jesus has said? The, I mean, these words as He's about to go to the cross, and make sense of them. And here's how I think we do it. Um, Jesus gives us a promise, and this promise is, is a couple chapters back in chapter fourteen, verse twenty six. Here's what he says. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I think the Holy Spirit is is in our lives to to teach us what Jesus would want us to know. More importantly, I mean, he 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 helps us. He helps us when life gets hard, when you suffer, when you when you have questions about um, what you're going through or what other people are going through, because we're all going through something. And he helps uh, he helps take our focus off of our problems and and point them upward to uh, to, to make to, so that God will make sense of him, so that God is glorified and and, and we're able to endure. And so here's seven verses and we're going to go through these very quickly um, to help. I think that help the, the Holy Spirit. Um, gives us to remind us what the holy spirit does and here's the thing when jesus gives us the holy spirit he doesn't give us just principles he actually is giving him we're giving he's giving us himself he's actually giving him and we're getting god himself dwelling in us and here's the first thing the holy spirit reminds us we've seen this in john god has not abandoned you you ever felt like you're all alone in the world like i mean there's nobody that cares but you about what's going on in your life Back in John chapter 14, when Jesus first told the disciples, you know, I'm going to check out, I'm going to leave, but I have not left you as orphans. That's what he says. The Holy Spirit won't abandon you specifically when you suffer. But a lot of times we think the Holy Spirit will abandon us when I've sinned. I mean, you all ever think that it's like I've done the unthinkable. I mean, and I know God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. But here's the thing. God knows about your sin. He knows about your small sins. He knows about your big sins. He knows about your secret sins, the ones you don't want anybody else to know about. He knows about those and he loves you anyway. Second thing, God is near you to help you. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think the spirit is in us so that um, we'll learn to cry out to God. That's what the spirit of God is doing in us. It's crying out to God on our behalf in those instances where we can't cry out for ourselves. And a lot of us, we live between our two ears. We're, we're driven to self-talk. But here's the invitation to not be ruled by your circumstance, to not be ruled by the things that are in your head, the things that would make you anxious but instead, invite God, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you to give you a little bit of of his peace. I think some of y'all just need to engage with God, you know, in prayer, obviously. And and it's and I think what this verse tells us, it doesn't say it, but I, I read in between the lines between verse six and seven. It says one of the ways that God gives you peace is just cry out to him. Some of you all just need to cry out. How do you cry out? You just yell. help! I wake up every morning. I woke up this morning. I went to my dining room to study my notes and I cried for help. Some of y'all need to cry a little bit harder. I mean, louder than me, than the way I'm doing it right now. You look like help. I mean, some of y'all need to. If, if that will relieve your anxiety, do that. It's OK. God can handle it. Thirdly, God cares for you. He cares for you. First Peter five, seven casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Uh, Notice he doesn't promise us freedom from confusion and complexity. A lot of y'all in this room, some of you in particular, you seek uh, perfect clarity about your life. You want your I's dotted and your T's crossed and you want everything to go as as planned. Can I, in the name of Jesus, just tell you to stop that? God God has not promised that you'll be able to to know that and do that. And although that might that might bring you a level of comfort. We should seek perfect care and comfort in Jesus, not necessarily in how uh, a smooth and perfect life um, always um, working out. God is not promising to help you connect all the dots in your life. Seek God's presence in the midst of all your confusion, because he's the one holding. I mean, he's the world. He's holding the world together by the word of his power. Fourthly, God values us more than the birds of the air. I love this verse. Matthew 6, 25 and 26. We're going to do a sermon series on this one day. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not your life more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are of more value than birds. You ever seen a stressed out? bird flying in the, in the sky. You ever seen a bird on medication? Like, I'm all drugged up because life is so hard. God doesn't make those. They, they do what they do. They fly around. They find their food. They go sit in their tree. And they do that again the next day. God invites us to look around and to see all that he's created. And let that beauty still your soul. God wants to speak to us as much through his creation, uh, creation as his word. Fifthly, uh, your anxiety is pointless. Keep going to Matthew, Matthew 6, 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? The Holy Spirit reminds us that your anxiety is pointless. Tomorrow doesn't need your anxiety because it's gonna come. It's, it's gonna be there waiting for you. Don't stress out over the day because that, that it's going to be there tomorrow. And Jesus is laughing at you here. Um, he's like, let tomorrow be tomorrow. Um, you don't have to worry about it today. What should you do today? I don't know. You probably need to eat. You need to take a nap. Watch some football. Um, if you got to go to work, work hard because, you know, God has called you to do that, to that. Um, do all that you're supposed to do today. And then when tomorrow gets here, let let tomorrow be tomorrow. Sixthly, two more. The Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit reminds us the Father in heaven knows about all your needs. I love this verse too. Matthew 6. I'm going to back up and actually read um, verse 31 to 33. I'm out of time. Y'all okay? Can I finish these two? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus points out something profound about our anxiety. Uh, It reveals God's substitutes. You know, you're substituting for God in all different kinds of ways in your life. If you worry about your money, then likely, I mean, if you worry about just all kinds of things surrounding your money, am I going to get promoted to make more money? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to close the deal? Buying a house? Um, then God is your money. God, wealth, security is your money. If you are constantly worried about your own image, fashion, my social media status, then you are your own God and you're fashioning everything around you in your own image about you being recognized and being applauded if, and I'm gonna say this to you parents, if you constantly worry about your kids, their grades, their performance, how their teacher reviews are going, then your God is probably your children. Your, your children have become the center of your life. And this is what God says. You were created for a ball, a far better center. Jesus should be your center. The work of the Holy Spirit reminds you who your center is. It's Jesus. Lastly, the Holy Spirit reminds us we need the Holy Spirit to magnify God and remind us what man can do to us. What can man do to us? Nothing. Romans 8 says there's neither height nor death nor angels or principalities that can take us away from from the love of God. Here's the the end of the deal. God is calling us to himself through the Son, by the Spirit. What's his invitation in in this passage As, as he's speaking to his disciples, getting ready to go to heaven, getting ready to die on the cross and then eventually go to heaven? He's saying, respond. Let's respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words from Jesus reminding us of what the holy spirit comes to do in our hearts and in our lives lord we re- like children getting ready to receive a present on our birthday would you make our hearts ready for the holy spirit if you're a christian we already have him but lord would you help us to live life in light that we have him that he's in us dwelling in us Helping us, working on our behalf to um to not freak out when life gets hard, and when life is hard he he helps us he shines a spotlight on Jesus so that we can see that he's at peace and hopefully might bring a sense of peace to our our troubled souls. Life is going to bring us trouble tribulation is going to come, but you give us the Holy Spirit you gift us him that your peace might dwell inside of us. Help us to see that. Help us to tap into it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.